This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts most morose TV show about a Gen Xer and a funeral home and mortality, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. And I'm your other host, Jenna Shearer. I'm a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. This week, we're talking about season one, episode eight, Crossroads, which originally aired on July 22nd, 2001. This episode was written by Lawrence Andrews and directed by Alan Coulter. Um, And the IMDb description for this episode is a divorced woman meets an unfortunate end while partying with her friends and the family discusses renting out the home to a senior's dancing group. That is not what happens in (laughs) all that happens. It's all that happens in the entire episode. I mean, it is spoiler free. (laughs) It's completely spoiler. In fact, it only covers about the first 10 minutes of the episode and not even. So we start the episode with a group of women who are in a limo drinking champagne and celebrating a divorce and they are wasted i will survive is playing in the background oh yes that's right and the middle woman you know she says that her ex can have his great he sounds like he was having sex with a grad student then she also says she wishes she could shoot whoever invented viagra and i was just thinking about how hot viagra jokes were in the early 2000s i think this is maybe our second viagra joke on six feet under Speaking of now dated jokes, uh, the uh, divorcee, Chloe Ann Bryant Yorkin, puts her head out of the sunroof and starts shouting, I'm king of the world. Yes. Which was already an old joke by then because Titanic came out in 1997. I do believe that a woman in her early 40s would still be making that joke. Yes. Um, and also someone who's super wasted. Yeah. So um, she crawls out of through the sunroof on in the limo. And uh, she just gets her head right smacked, not off, but mostly mostly off. She eats it. She literally eats it. What does she hit? I don't know. Like a, It's not a stoplight, but no. it's some kind of traffic-y thing. Some sort of traffic apparatus. It's, it's hanging there to like shame divorced women from feeling joy. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine putting my head out of a sunroof like this. It's so upsetting. I, I know they're drunk. but I've done it. I've done it. Oh, no. <laughs> But not in this, like, in like on a country road at night. Yeah, this is a bad idea. Yeah. You don't don't do it in like on like an LA um, highway or whatever this is. Um, R.I.P. Chloe and Bryant Yorkin, nineteen fifty nine to two thousand and one. And we we find out almost nothing else about her because she's just a prop in this episode. Basically. Yeah, this it's it's an interesting death because she's used as a sort of pawn in the. Uh, Fisher and Sons Kroner feud. Yeah. So Nate is sunbathing shirtless. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. He looks amazing. I think he's wearing transitions lenses. He has a six pack. He's listening um, to Struggle in Blues by T-Bone Walker. David comes outside and we get a little bit of exposition that the home has gone quite a while without getting a body. 
Um, Nate gets a call from Brenda, and I get a call from his six pack. Oh wait, wait! Before that, though, um, David does an impression of their dad doing an impression of Walter Brennan. Who the fuck is Walter Brennan? So I had to Google Walter Brennan. This is a very baby boomer reference. He was a character actor who was in a bunch of westerns in the forties. But he like basically talks like this, and I'm never gonna do that voice again. I'm very what, sorry, everyone. What a what a very deep cut. <laughs> it is. It's a real. That's not. That this is like one of the few things we know about Nate Senior is that he was a fan of Walter Brennan. The contrast of David in his suit and Nate just like almost yes. naked is yes. just pretty pretty iconic. So after this amazing impression, then Brenda calls. So we get some exposition. This is an exposition he's seen that it's been six days since the Billy incident of the last episode where Billy would not let uh, Nate and Brenda go to the desert together. Yeah. And oh, and we find out later in this episode, I, I asked last episode, do we think Nate went to the desert? Alone? Yes, I, I know he did. That. He went to the desert alone, which like I, I want that like <laughs> cutscene. Well, so maybe that's my heaven can't Nate, even though it didn't happen in this episode, because so he went to the desert alone, which fine, he's allowed to do. But David really needed help. Like, I recall they were very busy and Rico had to work. I know. So, like, he just, like, he didn't even have anyone to go with and he just went to the desert. Maybe he studied for the funeral director's You know what? I feel exam. like I would also make that choice, like, which I'm not saying is good about me. Heaven can't, Jenna. No, I get it. <laughs> I, I probably would, too, Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go back and be like, actually, never mind, the trip got canceled. And then yeah. have, like, both Rico and David being like, oh, like, Nate can't even keep a trip to the desert. <laughs> so... Nate's really mad at Brenda. She's being very weird on the phone. Yeah, I don't blame him for being mad at Brenda. I don't at all. I yeah. actually don't blame him for any being mad at Brenda at all in this episode. She called him and she's like, okay, I gotta go. And I'm like, why did you call him? This is, this is, texting was not a thing at this no, point. No. This is clearly a text conversation. Um, when they hang up, Nate's pretty pissed uh, and David certainly does not care. Um, yeah, David's just like, are you studying for your funeral director's test? I like him quizzing Nate yeah. on the funeral director's test. It's fun. Yeah. In, in the next scene, we get this dramatic swoop along what remains of Chloe's head, um, which is, I don't know what I'd describe it as. Like, there's like a chin and then sort of like a little slalom of gore. And Rico is examining her, but he is not in the embalming room at yes. Fisher and Sons. He is in the like very like sci-fi futuristic it looks like room. westworld it does that's exactly what it looks like it looks like westworld i was trying to pinpoint it they kept the six feet under kroner set for 15 years and then put westworld on it so rico is moonlighting uh or not we'll we'll learn that he's not really moonlighting he's just straight up uh he's sunlighting sunlighting he's just abandoning fisher and sons but he can't turn this down because it is like he loves a weird um, thing that he has to fix. And basically having to reconstruct a head from scratch is like Rico catnip. I wrote down what is Matt Gilardi's job because he seems to be in charge of the following things. <laughs> Recruiting freelance restorative artists, uh, threatening small businesses, Maybe setting fire to things, as we'll learn later. And putting GPS trackers on the fishers. Putting GPS trackers on the fishers, being boring. I mean, he has a lot of jobs. Uh, so I wrote down that good for Rico getting paid. Yeah, I'm kind of mixed about what Rico does here because, like, it's cool. Like, I get it if he wants to moonlight and, you know, get paid. But I also think it's, like, a little 
it's shady. It's like the it just the amount of times he's like used oh like Vanessa's pregnancy something something <laughs> as I a lie. Down, like what is Rico gonna do when she has the baby? Then there'll be like a childcare emergency. But like yeah. using her pregnancy. Yeah, and I I have some other Rico thoughts that we can talk about later in the episode, but I do, I do, I am glad that like he's getting to do what he loves. Yeah, and he says, um, you know, Gilardi is like coming down hard, being like, "Hey, work for us, work for us, work for us." And um, Rico says that he doesn't want to quit the Fishers because he's loyal to Nate Senior, who right. put him through school. Yeah. Um, but the question is, how far does that loyalty extend to the brothers? I forgot this was the Outward Bound episode. Yeah, I didn't realize. It was so, for some reason I thought it was season two, which is dumb because it like introduces Parker into our lives. I'm, I'm going to go into a uh, rant about hiking verisimilitude on television. Oh yeah, we do. Are you ready for it? I'll, I just want to say that in this scene, Claire is talking to a discount Devon Sawa. That's all that we have to oh talk about. Oh my God. About. Okay. So this actor, Jordan Brower, I looked him up on IMDb. The last movie he was in was in 2011, and it was called Killer School Girls from Outer Space. I love him. I'm a fan. But he is he is totally like Devin Sawa, like, put... Like, he's like the cut-rate Matthew McConaughey that we had. I hope none of these actors ever listen to this I podcast. know. I feel so bad. I'm married to an actor. It's a tough life. I get it. It's just very obvious when a casting director is like, we want someone who's kind of like this person, but we, for whatever reason, can't get that person, don't want to get that person. Here we go. Um, there's also poor man's Sean Astin, who is... I had to look it up because I was like, is that actually Sean Astin? It looks exactly like him. It looks like they stuck a blonde mustache on Sean Astin. Okay, please talk about hiking because I don't want to hike or be outside. So please <laughs> tell me about it. I want to hike and be outside all the time. Um, and I've done a lot of hiking uh, like this with big heavy packs. Uh-huh. And I will tell you that if you hike with a big pack like that and you have to like lift it up, uh-huh. it is like lifting up the corpse of like a medium sized person. It's really, really heavy and you have to like really struggle. And these people are clearly just carrying around empty backpacks. They're going up a very steep mountain or hill or something. I know they mentioned that they're going to be hiking like eight miles up to the top of a mountain, which is like. And, and there's like, okay. I mean, like later they both have their hair down long. Yeah. You would put your hair back yeah. because you're going to get sweaty and it's going to get in your face and it's going to get burrs in it. Anyway. Parker looks immaculate through this entire ordeal. Claire, they, oh, yeah. they did like fuck Claire up a little. Like Claire looks a little sweaty and like a little. She's got like a braid. She, she has, she has, uh, the rosacea that I would also have in this sort of situation. <laughs> that makes sense. I have so many questions about this whole trip. Right. Um, Claire starting, is starting with the me too, the many me too moments. Oh on the yeah. Trip. Like this is, it's a little bonkers, but for now we just need to know that Claire is on this outward bound trip that she paid $1,200 for. She's mad that she's there even though it was her choice to come and she's be- being very snarky along with uh, poor man Steven Sawa. Does this character have an actual name? Uh, his name is Topher. Oh that's right. It Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So in this next scene Nate is trying to figure out how to make extra money mm-hmm. and he has an idea that they should host senior citizen dance lessons and he wants to have these in the slumber room which is yes. a new funeral term that we are learning today. Uh, I looked up what the slumber room is. It's um, a room that has a bed and it's a bed where you put the body 
before you put it in the casket on the day of the funeral. It is like a bed so like a body can be like comfortable. I'm I'm doing air quotes this right now. This is so creepy. It's so and I've like if you google pictures of slumber rooms, I we'll put not. one in the show notes. It's like a bed that's like just big enough for a body because it's not going to roll around like cuz it's a body. It's just a a cot, but it's like cozy. Um, so Nate has already booked these dance lessons. I know. The timeline of this episode, once again, the time timing on Six Feet Under is crazy. I guess the the dancing people are coming that afternoon. I don't really understand how he put all of this together. Uh, Rico comes in, and then he lies about Vanessa having an ultrasound. Like, very badly. Like, he's a terrible liar. And then in the next little scene, he's, like stealing materials this is a part that's not cool yeah it's not cool he's also just kind of i think he really thinks that the fishers are dumb which he's not wrong mm-hmm. but like he's just like taking my stuff and then nate comes downstairs and nate's like where's your jacket and he's and rico's like oh shit uh rico is frustrating always <laughs> but yeah. especially in this episode oh, and then we're back at uh sierra crossroads which is this outward bound thing with poor man's sean astin whose name is dennis played by uh michael cudlitz i'm so sorry michael cudlitz you are very good at your job but you do look like sean astin he does but he announces that um the vision quest portion of the trip is beginning it seems like they're just hiking farther. He's like, have your map and compass. Like, they're clearly on a trail. Yes. They're not, you can't just go off trail because you destroy, like, all the stuff on the ground. Why did this cost $1,200? I don't know. They don't seem to have even gotten a t-shirt. I'm assuming their packs and stuff were rented because, like, Claire definitely doesn't own a, a camping backpack. But if you can pay $1,200, you can go buy a pack. That's true. That's what I'm, I mean, it just seems like a scam, which is fine. I mean, that's okay for this, but dramatic purposes too um and it is it is something that we'll get into and later in the episode is that everybody takes a turn but then when claire tries to take them on a path that is clearly not right he tries to discourage it like 10 times before they finally do it because he's like i know where we're going yeah i mean i agree with claire's bitching that this does seem stupid and like nonsense Mm -hmm. but i don't know what claire was expecting like it, she she basically was like really excited about this trip and then immediately as soon as she was on it i mean you know it's a teenage thing I yeah guess, i mean she's but, you yeah. know it's 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 a teen girl's prerogative so claire is really flirting a lot with topher who's like doesn't seem like her type no and he also he's like very excited that she has weed i guess what they have in common is they're like bitching about things yeah in this next scene uh there's a couple of least favorite subplots in this episode. Oof. I don't care about Nikolai and Ruth in this episode no. at all. It seems like such filler. Nothing sort of is resolved with it. I really don't like it. So they eat lunch together at the flower shop because now Ruth is working there. Um, he's sort of like everyone in Russia is alive and the Fishers <laughs> are not alive. It's very it, he he gets there very quickly. And I mean, like all of his criticisms of the Fishers are fair, but like it feels like Nikolai in in this episode in particular is just sort of written like here are five things I think a Russian might say. Yeah, it's a it seems offensive. It is kind. Is this the scene I think where Ruth is like, if you like Russia so much, why don't you go back yes. there? He also mentions in passing he was an engineer in Russia. Yeah, that also it didn't feel offensive, but that felt like the a sort of like I don't know that just feels like a catch all sort of thing to like describe. 
an immigrant. So much of how this episode is written, and I think it is like really subpar writing for Six Feet Under in general in this episode, like so much of it just feels like a quick shorthand. Yeah, it's a very... Nikolai is so cartoonish in this episode. And I'm not saying he's not cartoonish as a mm. character. Like he is like an oversized person, but it it just feels like when later when he yells at Ruth, I don't know. It's I know he's not supposed to be like have American hangouts, but it's mm. just like so outlandish. In this next scene, there is uh there are square dancers in the slumber room. Uh and the the square dancing lesson is being led by uh Kurt, who is a very uh, babelicious man, played by a young Stephen Pasquale in his first ever role. His first ever television role. Once again, I wonder what time it is and what day it is, because I know Nate said that this, the dancers were coming later that day. It just seems to have happened very quickly. I don't like this episode, but I think it is the episode that is clearest about time. Oh, boy. Six feet under episode. <laughs> then I can't deal with it. Because, like, again, Nate is still in the same outfit. Yeah. We know that Rico left in the morning and okay. he's still at the thing because Nate calls Vanessa. And yes. he's like, how did your ultrasound Encyclopedia go? Nate. Yes. Calls Vanessa. Or he's oh. calling Rico, but he, he's not there and Vanessa picks up. I think he knew he was going to get Vanessa. Yeah. So Vanessa is comically bad at lying as well. Like even I, worse than Rico. Rico's putting no effort into covering this up. I think he doesn't care if they find out. I think he's sort of unconsciously sabotaging himself. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but then we're back upstairs at the dance lesson where David is just like openly staring. <laughs> he's just like smiling goofily at Stephen Pasquale. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So uh, Kurt uses David to demonstrate a square dance move. The Hungarian swing. And it involves a lot of like touching hips yeah. and like, hand holding. I got to say, the old people uh, seem pretty cool with it. I don't know. They're just like, oh, I guess our square dancing instructor is uh, touching this random man around a waist and he's dancing and it's great. Everybody seems very uh, excited about it, which is nice. David is like clearly smitten with Kurt and he imagines uh one of the old men in a cowboy hat turning around and saying kiss him I know that's so sweet and then they kiss and all the senior citizens applaud I really like it um this is I think the first time David has smiled in like four episodes right he looks so happy finally which is nice it's a bad episode for almost everybody else but this is a good David episode it's a good David episode I will say that it's too bad that David only seems like he's happy when he's in a good romantic situation Mm -hmm. which fair and relatable but he's so pissy when he isn't I know like with someone I mean like immediate like this is getting ahead but like immediately after he has sex he is suddenly like so nice to everyone yeah he needs like all the fishers to go to therapy to deal with this yeah the fishers just actually all the fishers just turn to sex instead of therapy that's very true actually I almost feel like Nate is the person who's the most well-adjusted when it comes to sex and oh, I yeah. can't believe I'm saying that <laughs> it's not a gr- it's not a great pool to draw from no so Rico is back at Westworld <laughs> he's he's fixing up uh Chloe's body and like doing a very good job on the head and so this this lady tells him that Croner burnt down the Poseidon Society across the street from the Fisher funeral home She's basically saying that Croner did this for the insurance money. Um, Which solves that whodunit. Because we were like, did Claire do it? Did Brenda do it? I truly didn't remember this. I think I blocked this episode out. Because I really was still like, I've seen this show several times. And I was like, did Claire do it? I don't really understand it. Because why? I guess they bought it to burn it down. 
Yeah, I don't really get the business end of that. Well, also... Because, like, what, the Fishers weren't going to use the house for anything. No, and also, like, did Matt Gillardi burn it down? Does he care so much about Croner that he would like risk getting arrested for arson is very i guess they maybe hired someone i i don't get it is it doesn't is the point it doesn't quite add up i mean she also here confirms that gillardi has a personal vendetta against the fishers which like yes obviously yeah that's I think, true i think at this point he's like what if gillardi okay here's my conspiracy theory of the episode oh boy <laughs> what if gillardi doesn't actually like work for kroner anymore and got fired like forever ago and he just keeps like showing up and like terrorizing the fishers and like making weird promises to rico and then one day like the actual kroner people are like gilardi like we fired you three years ago for being creepy but so how did he get into the west world he like still has a key no spoilers but when matt gilardi shows up in subsequent episodes i feel like it is pretty clear that he still works there but <laughs> matt Gillardi's a west world host that's uh, uh, that that's, i would believe that's what it is yeah that i would believe I guess I don't really understand why he has a vendetta against them because they didn't want to get bought out. I guess. Because he approached them at their father's funeral and they weren't polite to him. It's really bizarre. I I guess it doesn't doesn't have to make sense. But um, so anyway, in the next scene, David and Sweetheart are chatting. Like very clearly flirting. Kurt is very into him. Yeah. It's very cute. And Nate sees this and is just delighted and it's really sweet yeah it's very nice he calls him dave again which is something that he seems to do when he's like teasing him yeah um i guess that kurt is supposed to be much younger than david Stephen Pasquale does not actually seem that much younger than David. They only have like a four or five year age difference. Yeah, that's what, I guess he's supposed to be like 25, 20, Kurt rather is supposed mm-hmm. to be 25 or 26 and we know David's 32. So Kurt, Kurt asks David out on a date and then Nate answers for him. Yeah. Which is like really cute. I don't know, like, because Nate has been um, like all along, like ever since he found out that David was gay, like really like supportive of him. Yeah, them. totally. Nate does say one of my favorite things that he's ever said. Come on, David. I watch Will and Grace. I have gaydar. Which is delightful. There's so many 2001 references in this episode. Yes. It is like the most pop culture referential episode. Then we're back to the endless hike with the super light backpacks. And uh, Topher and Claire are flirting. Like, I will say the teen dialogue in this episode is incredibly unrealistic. Like, especially Parker later. Yeah. It's interesting because Claire really doesn't ever talk to people her own age before this episode. Well, except Gabe. Except for Gabe. And it's one, but it's one on one. And I really love their scenes. This is very clunky. I don't know how I feel about Parker. All of Parker's dialogue in particular feels like it was like written by an alien who had just heard about what an American teen girl in 2001 might be. like, And it's not the actor's fault, like her dialogue. No, 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 I think she's she's good, actually. So we learn at the end of the episode, just to skip ahead to talk a little bit about Parker, we learn at the end of the episode that she is someone who's very affluent. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Claire is too, but this is like a next level sort of thing. And she's like an L.A. teen. She's like a sophisticated L.A. teen. So I buy some of it mm-hmm. 
but it just isn't. I actually don't buy Topher is the one I don't buy. I also do not buy Topher at all. Um, And he's, he's sort of a straw man for this episode. Like he, you think he's maybe going to be more important than he actually ends up being. Yeah. But in this scene, it's Claire and Parker have a sort of like exchange about like, how they know each other at school and how they're not really friends and Claire's pretty standoffish, Mm -hmm. but, um, and Parker wants some of her weed as well. (laughs) Um, it's a weird little scene. And Claire says, this is fucking adolescent, which is, yeah, that's actually a, 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 I believe that line. I think that the way Claire talks and behaves in this episode are in character I think she's super irritating in this episode, but I think it's in all in character. Yeah, I think Claire, Claire's fine. It's, it's, it's just the Parker stuff is. I don't have quite as much of a problem with the Parker dialogue as as you do, but I get what you're talking about. Yeah. And then in this next scene, my favorite person in the world, Matt Gillardi, uh, is here. He's praising Rico for doing a great job on Chloe Yorkin. For her cheekbones, Rico used Elmer's glue, dental floss, and modeling clay. I do think it's funny the way that, like, how? We have no idea, but I think the writers are like, try to imagine how he did this, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, I mean, my favorite thing about Rico is, like, how passionate he is about like yes. reconstructing dead bodies that time he's like i put a leg of lamb where the foot used to be or yeah that that's like like rico's like weird passion for being like creating verisimilitude in dead bodies when you love what you do you never work a day in your life <laughs> so matchel already seems very angry at how good rico is at his job which i can't tell why he offers rico like a job and says he'll like have his own funeral home and then he's like, this offer expires in 48 hours. Why? I know. Why does it expire in 48 hours? It's such a, like, it's such a, like, villain line. Does that make you want to take a job if somebody's like, I'm going to be very stressful at you? <laughs> I know. Like, I'm going to start, like, you could own your own funeral home, um, but I'm going to start this off with a threat that yeah. is then going to hang over your head. So, <laughs> this next scene... Nate goes to Brenda's to check up on her. Thus begins the weirdest sequence <laughs> in the series to date. So he goes to Brenda's. There's b- broken glass in the door. There's spooky music. There's like a shaky mess. handheld camera. Yes, the camera work is bonkers. Alan Coulter is a really good director. He's directed a lot of HBO stuff. He's really talented. The living room is like super messy. It did make me realize how clean Brenda usually is. Contrast. <laughs> um, and then there's a nude Australian man. Like full frontal for like a very long time. Yeah. Um, so this actor. Stuart Finlay McClellan. Let me just briefly talk about this actor. Oh this actor was on a television show that ran in the early 90s called Christie. And it was a period piece about a young woman school teacher in the like eight, nineteen early 1900s who comes to like Appalachia mm-hmm. to teach school. And so he was in a love triangle with Kelly Martin and some other dude. And like he was played, he played this Scottish doctor. And I was 11 watching the show and I was very into him. Oh my God. <laughs> and he was definitely in his 40s at the time. 
Peter Crescent here and at the dinner party later has some pretty incredible moments. Yeah, he has his line delivery is like it, it this it's this part's so bonkers. So Brenda comes back from I guess the laundry room. Nate is angry. Again, I don't blame Nate for being pissed off no, about this. No, Nate has every right to be pissed off. Yeah, and she says, "Oh dear, this is really unattractive behavior, Nate," which is like She's gaslighting him. Yeah, it's not cool. It's really a testament to how charismatic Rachel Griffiths slash Brenda is that she's basically like, it's weird that you don't want to deal with this nude Australian man. And he's like, sorry. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's really strange. She's like, man, you're such a, I don't know. It's Well, if a man was doing this on a television show, if a man like, just had like a nude lady in right? his house, and then like a woman came in and was like, I hate this. And he was like, relax, baby. We're just having a, we're just, she's just in town. You'd be like, that is crazy. And I just think it's this, I mean, it's the exact same thing. It's it so is. weird. No, Brenda's being, and I mean, she talks about this later. Like this is her weird ass version of like fear of intimacy is like, I will fill my house with naked Australians. So then Claire finds discount Sean Aston and Parker having sex. Yeah. In the forest, in a sleeping bag. I hate this. I know. I know. Also that guy's clearly like 28 years old. I know. It's terrible. I wish that Claire had immediately called the police, but I guess they don't have um, cell service (laughs) on the mountain. So I guess she couldn't really. Did this guy pass a background check? This is, I don't understand this outward bound program. This guy's extremely creepy. And then then Parker says, um, you know, like if she tells somebody, nobody will believe her. Everyone thinks she's crazy. I'm just like, I, I don't know. Parker is just, I can't get a beat on her. Um, we have a brief interlude uh, where David watches koala porn. It's not. It's like a nature show. Um, and Nate comes in. Oh, I'm just getting what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be like Australian guy, penis, koala penis. Did you just get that? I did. Amazing. So, again, Nate walks in. Just like walks into his apartment, which I guess is what happens when your family, like everybody lives in the same house, but it's a little nuts. Nate tells David about his suspicions about Rico and they basically like figure out exactly what is happening. And I wrote down that something in this scene was my heaven can't Nate. And now I don't remember what it was. Maybe it's his reaction to Rico. Isn't he sort of like, whatever, Rico can do what he wants? Yeah, or is that David? Of, it's it's Nate who says, yeah. like, it's fine if he's moonlighting, like, he can do what he wants. And, and David is basically like, well, but we know that he, like, lied to us and was working when he was supposed to be working for us. Well, yeah, I guess it's that, like, my heaven can't Nate is that, like, I assume Rico was paid a salary. So, like, if he's calling out of work mm-hmm. maybe he's not i don't know how restorative artists get pay- get paid i but i don't think it's like by the body i assume he's no he must be a salaried employee look i mean i'm not i'm not trying to like you know get into the ethics of this or anything but it is kind of fucked up we can get did. into the ethics of it i mean but and then nate is like whatever man and i'm like what do you think running a business is it's really weird yeah but you know if that's the worst thing Nate ever did then that would be fine (laughs) um we have Parker being nice to Claire on Outward Bound I wrote down this dialogue because it is the weirdest least realistic dialogue I've ever heard she's like Claire's asking like why uh Parker's hanging out with her and she says 
I just kind of, you know, think you're funny and cool. And, well, sometimes I feel boring and lame around you. And I think it's because, I don't know, I kind of want to be your friend. No, yeah. no teen girl or human yeah. in the history of life, except for Parker in this episode, has ever said anything remotely like that. We have to get a lot of Parker exposition very quickly because this isn't like, even with Gabe, we sort of like saw him over a few episodes mm-hmm. before he was fucked up to Claire. And this time we just like, here's Parker. Parker's part of Six Feet Under now. Yeah. She's in your she's in your world. She's everywhere you want to be. It's Parker. Like it's <laughs> and so we have to kind of get I mean, I understand that they're like, we want you to have like an idea that this girl is like off kilter and you know, you don't you can't quite trust her, but it's just not it's very clunky. Yeah, they I mean, because they also the other the only other thing we've seen of her reaction to Claire is her telling um the outward bound guy that uh that Claire is like crazy and no one will believe her. Yeah. And then the next scene we get her like question mark genuinely saying that she wants to be Claire's friend. I think she is being genuine. The timings is weird, but I, I do think that she's being genuine, but it is stated in a very strange way. So the Fishers and the next scene, the Fishers confront Rico about his moonlighting or whatever you want to call it, his sunlighting. He doesn't deny it. He says it wasn't for the money. He says he basically did it for the art. <laughs> I think it's kind of bullshit, even yeah. though I do think he did it for the for the art yeah so Rico does something in this this is the heaven can't Rico he does this thing which he's done a few times where he's like I have a wife and child to support and I need to be paid accordingly you don't get more money because you have a wife and child yeah that's not anybody's business it's it's strange it's a very slippery slope yeah this has kept many people down women down for a long time that that like men need I have a family so I need to be paid more and I need more flexibility Mm -hmm. the thing is is that Rico has many legitimate grievances the fact that he is not being treated well enough because he has a wife and kids is not one of them yes um but I mean you know there's other things in this scene where uh I totally get Rico's point that, you know, they they don't appreciate him mm-hmm. um, and they don't, you know, pay him enough. David even says, like, he's figured out that he's worth more than we can pay him. Yes. Rico definitely deserves a raise, not because he has children, mm-hmm. but also the partner thing. Like, So they bring up him becoming a partner. or he, I can't remember if he says he wants to be a partner. He says he wants to be a partner. So he says he wants to be a partner. And then David's like, that entails a financial contribution. And I'm like, well, okay, so Rico, like, what do you want? He just wants something that would take months to do. Like, yeah. it would require lawyers. Well, and it also seems like, you know, he's, Gilardi offers him, his own funeral home basically and i don't know if that's something rico necessarily want because he loves like he loves hanging out with the bodies but i don't think he necessarily would want to be doing intake and stuff yeah no not at all so that's the thing is i just like come away from this being like what did rico think was going to happen during this meeting i know and and nate says that the that he and david will talk about a counter offer right um, and get back to rico so next we're back at Outward Bound and the statutory rapist chooses Claire to lead the group, even though she is studiously avoiding eye contact, which I feel which very Which is also hard. like, what is this guy 
fucking thinking. I don't... His actions of anybody in this episode make no sense. He knows he's been caught and he's scared of getting in trouble. So instead he decides to single out and pick on the girl who could get him into trouble most readily. Yes. It's so dumb. Although, you know, it has no consequences, which is another thing with this episode. But like Parker sort of sasses him and is like... Because he's like, okay, Claire, like, we're just going to go this way. Everybody get your compass out. And Parker's like, she paid her 1200 bucks. We should get to follow her next. And I was like, oh, God, they paid $1,200 for this. Her loyalty seems to have switched really abruptly yeah. from him to Claire. And we don't get any reasoning why. And so they're clearly going to go the wrong way at the end of this scene. Because Claire just like, whatever, let's go here. Um, um, and the next scene, we're back at the flower shop oh with the Nikolai. She fantasizes about Egg Begley Jr. Fine. Yeah, that's like all that happens. That's it. I can't. I'm sorry. I don't even care yeah, about this. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's that's it. We got it. Um, she, Parker asks Claire if she really put a foot in Gabe Demas's locker, and Claire owns up to it because she's like, "Oh, this could actually be a cool social capital thing yeah. for me now." Yeah. And well, and then we find out Parker slept with Gabe and also sucked his toes. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of love that detail because like one, it probably means that Gabe didn't brag about sleeping with Parker mm-hmm. and also that like Parker has a way of like getting out of shit that Claire can't seem to master. Although I again, because Parker is such a like loose cannon, weirdly written character. You think she's lying? She could be lying. Yeah, that's Because later in the episode- she basically says she's a compulsive liar. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I kind of believe she slept with them. Yeah. Um, and then both of them get kicked off of the trip. The, yeah, like the fucking outward bound guy comes over and he's like, and he's like, you you let us off course and it's irresponsible. Also, you have drugs. And then he like reaches into the side of her bag and just like this million pocketed bag and just immediately pulls out. So much pot. So much weed. Like, hide hide your weed yeah. better, Claire. Yeah. Like, my God. And also, like, bring less. Put it in your bra. I know I, I, I shouldn't keep talking about, like, the, uh, the unrealistic amounts of weed that appear when weed appears on this show. But it's, yeah. it's an unrealistic amount of weed to bring on, like, a weekend camping trip. This plot line is so wild. I just, like, what is he thinking? I don't know. It's like they have power over him at this point because they could report him. And there's some kind of fight that happened between Parker and the guy because the guy calls Parker a little bitch. So we find out that David is Claire's adult guardian <laughs> for this trip, <laughs> which I really like. Although and I think I think if Ruth had picked up, that also would have been the case. Or Nate. And then discount Sean Astin tries to talk to Claire. He's so, I don't understand anything about this character it's really strange and then he like you know we find out that he had to like leave all the kids which again how long did it take to get down here i have so many questions if they were like in the wilderness in the sierras how close were they to like a road that they could hike over to that truck so because claire is like who's you know who's taking care of everybody else we find out that this tofer that we met for 35 seconds is actually like a big nerd who's been doing the outward bound thing since he was 14 and he's he's going going to stanford and claire finds out that even people who pretend to be cool are very privileged (laughs) Um, like claire you're also privileged well this is the thing like i mean it doesn't surprise me at all that tofer is like going to stanford i don't know then Nate is taking the funeral director's test with in like a room with an open kitchen. 
And the man yeah. presiding over it like looks like a, like a super villain. It's weird. He's just like Mr. Burns handsing. I mean, all this stuff happens off screen. Why couldn't this have taken place off screen? I just had Nate say late, later he took it. I don't know. Um, the next scene I actually really liked, is, which is when Rico and Vanessa go to Chloe Yorkin's funeral. At like a big fancy chapel situation. Yeah. And they're like, and Vanessa's super proud of Rico and is like praising his work. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> actually, um, they're like giddy over this corpse at, at the <laughs> at the woman's funeral. It's really, it's actually like weirdly sweet. I like Vanessa a lot. I, I like, like the, too. I like Justina Machado. I don't know the the characters are still both Rico and Vanessa are still a little like wonky, but like I really do like her a lot. Yeah. Oh, and and Vanessa basically insists that Rico take the job. Yes. Because he's sort of waffling back and forth, and Vanessa's like, no, like we have another baby on the way. Um, that you'll get paid much more. The fishers yeah. don't respect you. Take this job, obviously. So then we have David on a date with the with Kurt, who I guess is very young. Wearing a t-shirt that he borrowed from Claire. Kurt is very forward and like, not even forward. He's just like very open. Mm-hmm. There just seems to be a generational difference. And, you know, Kurt even has like a kind of semi-traumatic coming out story where like her his parents aren't cool with him because they walked in on him having sex with his high school boyfriend. And I feel like you see a little moment where David's like, I couldn't have a high school boyfriend because I was so deeply closeted that I couldn't even. Yeah, I mean, Kurt asked him like, what was it like when you came out to your Aww. parents? And David quickly comes up with a lie. Well, but it's so funny because he says Nate, he says Nate Sr. I mean, he says like my father was okay with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, has David sort of like synthesized that maybe Nate Sr. was? okay with it i think he was just sort of telling himself a comfortable lie i guess so and then he's like my mom's weird about it and that's true Um, he hasn't given his mom a chance to be weird about it but do you think she knows by now i think she knows i don't think she knows you don't think that she put together who keith is no because she was like trying to like hook him up with um with the woman at church oh yeah with tracy yeah I guess so. Yeah, I guess you're right. Kurt says that he likes older guys, and it's just like, oh, like, do less, Kurt. I Um, do think that the look that passes over Michael C. Hall's face that's like, huh, huh? I know. Is very endearing. Um, I love this date. Yeah. I think it's a good date. It's, I mean, and then he very frankly asked David if he's a top or a bottom. And we're going to have a guest on next week who will help us with some of the nuances of gay yes. culture. But I do think it's funny when he's like, I'm versatile. And he's like, bottom, great. <laughs> it's, that's a that's a pretty great exchange. It's really wonderful. Yeah. For, Steve Pasquale is delightful in this episode. He is. And like, good for David for finally going on a date. I know. And he's so fun. There's not all the baggage. Yeah. Um, okay, so then in this next scene, Nate is at Brenda's at a dinner party with Connor and Billy and Brenda, and he is and wasted a giant and bong. Yeah, the hugest bong you've ever seen. It's like I mean, this is like clearly everyone must know that this will not go well. Like I feel like when Brenda extended this invitation, she was like, "Let the chaos begin." This scene, however, does contain one of my favorite shots in the whole series. Wait, tell me what it is. Which is like, like Nate is is sitting Wait, with his bong and extremely uncomfortable, and Billy just like swoops in yeah. like <laughs> sideways, like a weird cat, like right into like the frame behind Nate, and it's just like, hey, buddy, and it's just I I love it. 
I love it so much. I love his performance. It's uh, it's fantastic. Nate yells, what fucking language are you speaking in, Connor? And it's so great. So Nate is just taking massive hits off this massive bong. Yeah. I I will say, like, as weirdly as this scene is filmed, it is not a bad representation of what the world looks like when you have taken massive bong hits. Yes, it feels accurate, but it just is so bizarre. Um, I he, guess no one else is getting stoned. That was the, I guess everyone's kind of stoned, but nobody else seems to have lost it quite as hard as Nate has lost it. Billy is the one who keeps lighting the bong for Nate. Yeah, I guess we don't really see anybody else doing, I guess they're drinking, but they're yeah. not really smoking. Yeah, or they already smoked and then stopped because they were like, one hit of this is probably enough. And Nate's like, I'm having a bad time. Let's make it worse. Um, we briefly jump to Parker and Claire driving back to L.A., Parker asks Claire how she feels about her dad dying, which I'm glad someone did. <laughs> Nobody else seems to ever ask. Although she asked it immediately after Claire is like, how did he know that I had pot? And then she just goes, so your dad died, huh? Like, yeah. again, not a human being transition. Parker's bizarre. But, yeah. you know, her dad works at Disney, which I laughed at. And she makes up like a lie about why she goes to a public school. Claire calls her a compulsive liar danger slut, which I did like. I like that too. Like I want that as a t-shirt. So then we get another scene of Ruth. This time she's with Ed Begley Jr. on the couch. She has a very offensive dream about Nikolai. Yeah. In Russian clothes. The one funny thing about this scene is is Hiram is like, she starts tuning out Hiram, but Hiram is, is going on a rant about how much he loves Mad Magazine. Well, so I did LOL when he said irreverence is my drug of choice. I wrote LOL, you dork. So basically like what we've learned about Ruth in this episode is that when she's with Nikolai, she has a fantasy about Hiram. When she's with Hiram, she has a fantasy about Nikolai. This teaches us very little about any of the characters. No, yeah. This has, there's no reason any of this stuff should be in the episode. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. And then uh, Nate's bad high gets worse. Yeah. Um, and he <laughs> keeps smoking. Connor. He hallucinates Brenda and Billy making out. It does like this weird thing where he'll like he'll see like he sees a photo of Connor and Brenda at the beach and then oh, yeah. he kind of squints and the photo is of Connor and Brenda having sex at the beach. He's kind of semi hallucinating and getting very paranoid. This is just like an upsetting scene to watch. He also starts to hear like Australian-ish nonsense. <laughs> yes, I did like I, I wrote down some of these things. Uh, in an Australian accent, Brenda says that something is useless as the bottom half of a mermaid. And then oh, Connor yeah. says, crop a bingle, you googly. Oh, boy. This is a lot. I actually, I I think this scene's kind of great. Um, I think. It, like, I just didn't enjoy watching it. Oh, it's very stressful. And Nate kind of confronts Connor and says, like, you know, you've been sleeping in the bed with her. Like, you haven't been using that sleeping bag at all. And then and, Billy gets involved. And Peter Krause's eyes are like, his pupils are like black and huge and he's just like and it's filmed in this weird way i don't know this scene i actually i kind of adore oh and, and nate leaves brenda's like maybe you should get some air and he just sort of like floats backwards yeah does he fucking drive home and then in the next scene just david has sex with kurt yeah 
And Kurt says, you are versatile. I like it. Yeah, it's great. And then it's the next morning and Nate is asking Ruth of all people yeah. for relationship advice about Brenda, which shocked me. It's weird. And then she says that Brenda deserves a commitment. I thought that there was a commitment I between know. them because they were calling each other their boyfriend and girlfriend. I feel like it's pretty clear she shouldn't be sleeping, whether they're having sex or not, like that she should, shouldn't be sleeping with another guy. Um, David comes in and he's happy both that he had sex and that a bus overturned on the highway killing 44 people. <laughs> he's um, thrilled about he's both of those He's equally happy things. about both of those two things because they think they're going to get some bodies. Not, not just because somebody died. And Nate says that he like screwed up the test. I guess he failed. That's what Nate says. Rico comes in and basically quits. He's like, so am I a partner? And he's like, oh, you guys didn't even talk about it. I'm like, what do you think being a partner is? I know. Like probably only like a like half a day has passed. And and so, yeah, Nate is, is the one who's pissed about it. And David and Ruth are like, he put in his five years. Like we, he doesn't owe us anything. Yeah, like, I feel like you reversed your positions from earlier in the episode. I guess David is like, is just like, I'm just happy these people died and that I got laid. So I'm fine with whatever. David's in a very mellow mood. Yeah. Nothing mellows out David like sex and a massive bus accident. Oh boy. Nate goes over to Brenda's. I will say that heaven can Nate with his little takedown of Brenda. Yeah. He, you know, he apologizes for, you know, last night he said he was basically hallucinating and, you know, like I'm seeing you with another guy makes me crazy. Yeah. But then he, he asks for her to apologize to him and he lays out like a series of things that I'm like, yes. All those things are correct. Yeah, he's 100% right. And Brenda's sort of like, you're right. Nate is basically like, I want to be with you for a long time, but not, you know, not if you keep acting like this. And then Brenda responds, did you just make a lifetime commitment followed by a thinly veiled threat of abandonment, which I did love. That's a great line. (laughs) That's fair. So, you know, now you get the impression that they're committed to each other. So in the the next scene, which I actually really love this scene. So Claire arrives home. I have a question about the time. When they were leaving the Outward Bound, Sean Aston said that they should be back by midnight, mm. is what he said to David. It is the morning and Claire has arrived home. Do we think she hung out with Parker all night? Mm. Do we think that uh, they just forgot that they had written that line and just put her in in the morning because then she could have the scene with David. I'm just saying. I'm going to go with forgot that they wrote that line. Great. Claire in the scene looks like for the first time genuinely like someone who has been hiking. Yes. Like she she's a mess and she's exhausted. She's sunburnt. She's a little sunburnt. Yeah. I appreciate it. She like drops her clearly empty bag on the floor um, and it bounces. David doesn't seem to care that Claire did not get home at midnight. Well, yeah, because he's he's still having that like chill bus accident, like postcoital vibes. Yeah, I guess that's right. It just truly, no one is paying attention to where Claire is. Is is a big point. I mean, here. That's par for the course. It's true. I do love that David is like, I'm not going to tell mom. I didn't tell mom that you got in trouble, and I'm not going to tell her. And then uh, Claire asks, like, what? Why she doesn't see Keith around anymore? Yeah. Um, and David says it didn't work out. And he's so like honest and not prickly. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I think this might be like the first nice, like David Claire moment. I know. And I let, you know, I like that this, this 
no spoilers, but this relationship will, we will get to see more of this as the series goes on. And I really, I love their relationship. It's nice. And then Claire is like, everything I thought I knew was wrong. Like they just have like a nice, they have a nice little heart to heart. Mm -hmm. It's very sweet. And then David leaves her a glass of OJ. Yeah. I like that. I love that gesture. Yeah. It was, it was a nice, nice ending on a um, piece of trash. Oh boy. So what grade would you give this episode? I would give this episode a C minus. Yeah. I almost gave it a D plus, but I'm like, you know what? It, yeah. There's it has its moments, but I think a C minus. I agree. I usually when I when I watch these episodes, I kind of keep in my mind throughout like what the running themes are, how all the stories link together. And in most of these episodes, I come out at the end being like, oh, you know, they did a really good job of creating this story and and following this theme. And this episode. Yeah. Like, I guess it's about jealousy. Obviously, you have Nate's jealousy with Brenda and you have Claire's. And then you also have Rico uh, being, you know, like disloyal, like cheating on the Fishers with, yeah. with uh, Kroner. But it's it's all kind of handled in a really superficial way. Well, you know, the episode's called Crossroads. I guess Nate and Brenda are at a crossroads and then like decide to commit to each other. But like... And Claire can't decide which road to take. I, I mean, it's so literal with Claire. Yeah. And then... But, like, David doesn't seem to be making any particular, like, life choices. And Rico is, like, I guess Rico is at, like, a crossroads of whether he stays at Fisher and Sons. But it just all seems to happen so quickly. Yeah. I do think that, like, sometimes with, you know, these types, like, a cable drama where there's, like, 12 or 13 episodes in a season, sometimes, like, the 7th and 8th and ninth episodes can feel a little, like, treading water because, Mm -hmm. like, it's not quite time to start the, you know, the falling action of the season. But, like, we know the characters by now and you it's – but this just – this doesn't even feel like place setting. I don't know. It doesn't feel like confidently going into the like back third of the season. It pushes forward one plot thing, which is Rico leaving. Yes. You know what? I would rather just rewatch the Britney Spears movie Crossroads. For links to everything we talked about today and more information about us, visit our website at notoversfu.com. If you liked the show, please subscribe, tell a friend about it, and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Jenna, at Second Husk. You can find me, Caroline, at Caroline V. McGee. You can find our producer, Allison Cherry, at Allison underscore Cherry. That's one L in Allison. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. Our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishiani. Until next time, be like David and do the Hungarian swing in your slumber room. Thank you.